If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Happy New Year. How is your year starting out so far? For once, I actually feel somewhat rested after the holidays. Doing nothing is not something I'm terribly good at anymore with my parental responsibilities and goings-on of my kids, my career, my hobbies and tinkerings, but somehow, maybe it's just because of the, uh, the way the holidays fell this year on a Monday and Tuesday and gave me a couple of extra long weekends, but whatever the case, I was able to do a fair amount of lounging and exercise, read, even sneak in a few naps. I should mention, actually, the, a couple of the books that I read here that I liked. Uh, one is by uh, Pico Ayer, um, who is friends with the Dalai Lama and the late Leonard Cohen. Really great little book called The Art of Stillness. It's only about 100 pages long, produced in collaboration with TED Books. It's a very timely bit of writing, though, about how to stay connected with a present mind state, even when it is, uh, you know, now that it's more important than ever, I think, uh, with the, the way screens have come to dominate our existence and take us out of our internal presence at every turn. But it's not just a, it's not a book about meditation. It's in, in the formal sense, though it, it could translate into your meditation practice, but it's more broadly about what happens when we are still. Uh, it's a great new, new year, fresh start kind of read. Another one is uh, Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep uh, book about 30 years of, of research that he's done as a sleep diplomat, as he calls himself, making the case that sleep is most likely the single most important thing we can do for our health. And it's a surprisingly entertaining book because of all the studies trying to approve or debunk all the things that aid in sleep and what our sleep target should be based on a lot of evidence. I heard him uh, last summer, uh, one of my friends sent me the, the podcast he did with uh, Joe Rogan, and I've been slowly putting some of those concepts to work for me, and I wanted to kind of go through it in the book form. And uh, maybe that's why I was able to chill a little easier during my downtime. Who knows? Uh, the other book that I dug into was a fun one, the Beastie Boys book. Uh, it's about 500 pages long, and uh, though half of it is pictures and bits of song lyrics, even recipes and, and memorabilia, uh, just realizing there's another connection here to the Dalai Lama through this book, through MCA, the late, great Adam Yauk of the Beastie Boys, who was the force behind the Tibetan Freedom Concerts. Um, but the book serves as <clears throat> both a history of, of their musical collaboration and artistic journey while giving a glimpse into the music scene of the, in, in New York in the early 80s and the transition from, from punk to rap and hip hop and, and just the melting pot of nearly every music genre that they sampled in their music and some unbelievable happenstances that occurred with them and and the collaborations that they had with so many different artists and making you know the art form that became a huge part of our culture. If you're a fan at all, I'm sure you'll find this quite entertaining. 
Uh, if you're the, if this is the first time you're tuning into this podcast, this is not just a show about health, but improving our experience and, you know, which is what I think most people are working towards in their own health pursuits. My guests are solution seekers, people looking to improve our experience here together on the planet. They are people I believe have insights and practical applications. They're people whose intention it is to help us find our own truth and simple answers to matters that are oftentimes made to seem complicated. Today's guest is no exception. My conversation today is with director Abby Epstein, who collaborated again with executive producer Ricky Lake, uh, following up their 2008 Business of Being Born documentary for a new film called Weed the People. But before we get to that, just a quick reminder that Highway to Health is now on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Buzzsprout, and Stitcher. So wherever you're whether you're on a subway or a bus, in your car, at your desk, or walking down the sidewalk, there's always an easy way to hear us. Also, if you haven't taken the time yet, please consider uh, giving us a, a rating. Uh, it really helps to uh, increase our visibility. And if you feel like you have something nice to say, you can also review us and give people who might be scrolling through an idea of which episode they should click on if they want to check us out. Thank you in advance for that. Uh, one more thing, would you consider uh, showing support for the podcast by, and, and keep it ad-free by donating to our Patreon? You can go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health, and you can show your support for as little as $1 a month. And if you want to learn more about our mission with this podcast and its community, check out our video on the Patreon page. So today I get to talk to Abby Epstein about what she and Ricky Lake's latest film, Weed the People, uh, is about coming out here uh, January 22nd. It's far from a stoner film. It, it is about cannabis, but how it could be used in the treatment of cancer and with incredible results. The film follows six families who have exhausted traditional forms of cancer treatment and turned to cannabis as a Hail Mary, and the results totally blew my mind. It's also a conversation about cancer research and why Schedule One status is, is limiting not only research, but life-saving treatment. We start out here talking about the, the origins of Abby and Ricky's film collaboration. Please enjoy my conversation with Abby Epstein. How did you and mm -hmm. Ricky meet? In the vagina monologues. Ah. Yeah, she. We when we did the show here off Broadway, we had. Um, in the beginning, we had like a rotating cast of three actresses that would rotate every two weeks. Okay. So it's kind of like three, you know, celebrity or high profile actresses. And so she was in my cast, oh, one of my casts. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And so uh -huh. how, how, did you, how did you guys know that you had a thing that you wanted to do something with? We didn't. I mean, huh. we just became friends. Yeah. And I think at that time, I was still just very much doing the theater she was still living in New York. We became friends. And then... So this is why, while she was doing the show? Or was she, she acting more? She was... At that time... I feel like the Ricky Lake show was maybe almost over. Okay. Um, so we met like two years before 9-11. And then okay. she left New York right after 9-11. And then she had moved out to L.A. And we kind of... Um, lost touch for a minute and then one day I was in LA and I just came by to like say hi and see her new house and her new life and then 
we were oh and sorry and by then i'm sorry so then i had made my first documentary in that time so i had done a documentary that grew out of the vagina monologues yeah yeah i saw that so then i saw her um in la and she was just like going on about this birth project she wanted to do and she was like i don't know what it is like i don't know if it's a book or it's like a movie or you know i just really and i was like well i just did a movie i don't know so it was just one of those like kind of you know i was a little like skeptical like "Mm, i don't know what this kind of movie would be like you know and then she gave me some books to read and was sort of like oh you have to read this book and this book and i'm so fascinated by all this childbirth stuff um and so then, yeah, that's when the movie started taking taking shape. And it was was it because of her birthing? <laughs> oh yeah, experience? yeah. Like I hadn't even been yeah. pregnant. Yeah. I hadn't even like been pregnant with either of my kids. Um, and yet, you still decided to have children after doing. <laughs> I got pregnant during the movie. Did you really? Yeah, I got pregnant during the making of the movie. Yeah, I know. I I well, I think I told you I I saw, I I I'd started working with babies like maybe two years prior mm-hmm. and my my 15 year old is actually my, not my biological son he's my stepson but mm-hmm. we've been together since he was five so my it was like right around that time I start we my wife and I were uh, starting to think about having a baby mm-hmm. and then we watched the documentary <laughs> right around the time but I'd been seeing all these things with babies too that I was like sort of questioning whether like what was Pitocin's sort of effect on babies and digestion because mm-hmm. I was seeing these things over and over again and I mm-hmm. worked with a lot of lactation consultants. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of the few guys in the in the lactation world. I'm kind <laughs> of a, a craniosacral slash lactation specialist, uh, okay. even though I, I, I don't have any of the certifications, but I've just been around it for yeah. so long that, you know, I know when there's a, a feeding challenge right yeah. away. Yeah. So, but but there was some, there was some shocking stuff in that that I think I was like... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this is what I'm. This is what I'm going into. Oh yeah, oh so. yeah. No, that movie. It's it's fascinating because it's just like it's just never ends. I mean, it's like we were um, even like now that Ricky and I go to all these cannabis conferences and like all the women come up to us and they're like, well, first I have to tell you that the business being born changed my life. Yeah. No, they're like, you don't understand. It changed my life. Um. And that happens to us constantly, you know. So it's funny because to us, it's like, oh, the movie's 10 years old. But, right. you know, there's still really nothing out there that comes close to that movie no. in terms of preparing you for, you know, the system. So it's still like just, you know, like for all these couples, it's like brand new for them, you I, know. I know. Um, but it was funny. I was talking to one one guy the other day, and I was like, oh, so you have a four-year-old? You live in Brooklyn, and you didn't see the business of being born? I don't understand. And he was like, honestly, he goes, I felt like it had basically, like, permeated the zeitgeist to the point where, like, I, I didn't even need to see it because we were already going that route, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. funny. <laughs> I mean, so you had no idea that, you, I mean, you've now you've, like, tra- tracked into so many different health-related things. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're all on some level, like, empowerment like related or related to women's sexuality or reproductive um justice or just really like empowerment around like 
you know, female sexuality or generally just female just health. female experience, yeah, too. Yeah, and exactly. And so I think that it's, it's funny because it's like I don't really have any interest in, like, health in a medical sense. You know, like oh, I yeah. don't really, you know, I don't really care about, like, taking down big pharma or, you know, that's, like, one of my goals. Um, but it it just ends up, like, dovetailing. Yeah. I mean, I, sort of what happened with me starting the podcast mm-hmm. was that I was becoming more interested in the belief systems we have culturally and around how we stay well yeah. and what causes these belief systems to develop in the first place because right. I think that it was it has a huge effect on our communities as a whole and I was becoming more drawn to that conversation than I was about healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I see this in your work in the film here too. I'm sure spending this much time with the subject over the course of making the film because yeah. you, you followed yeah. these families for a number of years. Did you find your personal beliefs around the use of cannabis change during this project? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we made Weed the People, I mean, it was just, it took like six years to make from beginning to end. And I think in those six years, it's, you know, kind of unbelievable. So how much the has entire changed, too. Cannabis, yeah, industry has just emerged. Um, and it, And things have changed so, so, so much. So I don't, you know, I, and I still think they're, changing like I was at a conference this week and one of the scientists I was talking to was like oh you know in cannabis science it's like it's like dog years you know it's like every year seven years because it's like we're just it just is moving that fast you know um what do you think the forces are on it you know I think that there's just there's always been like pure kind of academic interest in cannabinoids you know Mm -hmm. going back to the 60s and it's been relatively easy to study um in some countries not not in the united states but so i think there's always been kind of um pure interest and some of these scientists as we show in the film are sort of like accidental like discovering like you know these cancer killing properties and other properties of these compounds in the plant um I think that, you know, all, like, research, I won't say all research, but a, a lot of it, of the research around cannabis and, and most plants is really fueled by drug development, right? And the billions of dollars waiting yeah, yeah. at the end of the rainbow when you patent some drug or you come up with the next, you know, um, super drug. So I think that back then, you know, I think when I talked to like the Israeli scientists or whatever, they were very frustrated because they were seeing all this incredible clinical research and in the animal model too, amazing, you know, with CBD as an antioxidant and everything from diabetes. It was, um, you know, they were seeing to rheumatoid arthritis, to cancer, to um traumatic brain injuries you know Mm -hmm. they were really seeing like incredible preclinical evidence and they couldn't really get anything funded they couldn't really get anything moving forward whether it was because drug companies were kind of skittish about doing anything that had to do with the cannabis plant Mm -hmm. or because you know but now i would say that the endocannabinoid system is slightly more established as like a real yeah. system then now they are looking at more, you know drug pathways and more drugs that that act on these receptors so 
I think it's crazy. It's like, you know, one minute I, I meet a cannabis researcher, professor, scientist at a conference, and a year later I hear that, you know, some huge cannabis company has just given him $500 million and basically said, just go. And whatever you discover, we own. Okay. You know, <laughs> and so that's driving a lot of this. I mean, I, look, I think that what we show in the film is that there are these kind of more mom and pop practitioners and um, companies that are working with the plant that are making medical preparations that are just you know really believe in whole plant medicine um, and that's that's one avenue that I, it's it's important you know to keep that access to yeah. sort of keep, the plant as a botanical that's accessible right. um, and customizable, but I, I that, don't. That, that, see... that could be problematic if they if they turn it into just a pharmaceutical. Well, that's kind of I think what I see what I see happening. It's just becoming so overregulated mm-hmm. that none of those people really can stay in business, and I feel like they are sort of paving the way for the cigarette companies. I don't know if you saw, um, like Altria just made one of the biggest investments in Canadian cannabis industry. Mm, no, I didn't see it. Um, yeah, like huge. You know, so I feel like they're paving the way f- for the cigarette companies, for example, as cigarette smoking's declining. Yeah. They're kind of paving the way for them to take over this cannabis industry. Even the beer and alcohol companies are getting involved, you know, because they probably see their see sales. see the dollar signs. And also pharmaceuticals. I mean, I think they, they, you know, look, I think biologists do say that, hey, the future is in these derivatives. You know, it's, it's coming up with the derivatives of the plant. And, and, you know, like if you take penicillin, right, you, you're not taking penicillin anymore penicillin doesn't exist it's a derivative you know everything they're all derivatives and I think they kind of don't buy this whole thing that oh you have to it has to be from the whole plant so you can get this whole like spectrum of like you know terpenes and cannabinoids you know they're like yeah yeah okay that's okay to believe but like we really believe it's about these derivatives because that's how we know how to build build pharmaceuticals well even think think about it in relation to like apples like we've that's a genetically modified you know food yes and the the whole apple a day thing for a long time was like something that was the people totally bought fully into yeah and yet they're we're continuously modifying that that fruit yeah. and yeah. and it's the same kind of thing with a plant i mean I, I, that's yeah. that's the one thing and and i think we're we're still dealing with so much stigma around this i mean yeah. i was just telling people that i was going to have a conversation about this topic and also the the fact that you know we're talking about it in relation to pediatric medicine yeah that's so shocking to some people and yeah. yet i i know people who have had children who have had to be treated this way yeah you know? and um the is it Aunt Zelda? Is that the name mm-hmm. of the woman that's in the movie? Yeah, you Mara know, Gordon from Aunt Zelda. Yeah, yeah, you know the uh, her name's what Mara Gordon. Mm-hmm. That that you have to, you know that you have to. I mean, in in some ways, it's it's nice that you have somebody who's so reliable and is is you know really being so careful and, and cautious about the way that they're producing things. Yeah. And you know, you show in the in the documentary the way that, you know, some people are getting some of these things from, you know, people that they hear about or, you know, someone on the street. And that's that's the other that's the downside of of, you know, not legalizing it. But 
I, I, I almost kind of wonder, you know, in relation, let's say, to something that's going on with, with vaccinations or something like quality control mm-hmm. isn't always, you know, provable even at the pharmaceutical level. Of course, so right. it's, it's always going to be, um, you know, brand mm-hmm. in, in some ways, like, you know, mm-hmm. people, people's reputations are going to be built around these kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, on Zelda could be the thing that, mm-hmm. that you know, the, the standard for things, mm-hmm. but go, going back to the patent thing, cause I still, yeah. I still don't quite understand Mm-hmm. Can you can you explain a little bit? It's like it's it's got a number. It's a patent six six three zero five zero seven. Yeah. So there's the the federal government has a, a federal patent on cannabidiol, which is known as CBD, um, as an antioxidant and a neuroprotectant. And the the patent, if you read it, it's actually got a lot of great information in it. It's very well researched. Mm-hmm. It has dosing. Um, you know. And, and it was created when? What year? It was. So like early 2000s 2003, or something? 2003, I yeah, think, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was 2003, the patent. Yeah, I mean, so most people don't know that. and But it's sort of like, you know, one of the points I think is made in the film by um, Sanjay Gupta. We have a clip from him, you know, on his show. And he says, well, how can the government on the one hand say this is a Schedule One narcotic, it's right, right. federally illegal because it has no medical value. And then on the other hand, the same government is saying, oh, wait, but it has such medicinal value that we're going to patent it. You know, it's a complete game. You know, the history of cannabis, which we, you know, briefly outline in the film, we don't go into all the depths and nuances of it. But if you look at the history of cannabis prohibition starting in the 1930s and you follow the trail you'll see it's just money it's just money racism and greed Mm -hmm. there was never anything proven by doctors by scientists by anybody to say that this plant is toxic dangerous deadly addictive you know all the things that they claim it to be and claim it to have no medical value it was all completely trumped up. And, and the same of, of the hallucinogenics. I heard mm-hmm. Michael Pollan talking about this on a podcast, yes. you know, that, that, that there's just not much evidence of, of you know, the, any, even with chronic use of, of, of any harm. So It's true. But even I feel like those, some of those, um, some of those plants or, you know, some of those substances have broken through. It's like the FDA yeah. approved MDMA for therapy. You know, what? <laughs> I know, and, and not so, cannabis, right? You know, and it's just like, and all these poor, you know, veterans with PTSD are going to the VA and getting strung out on these medications and developing horrible addictions. When like, really, all they want to do is use cannabis. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. what helps veterans yeah. with yeah. their PTSD, or many of them. That's what they report, and they they have to fight for the right, you know to get that medication which they can't get from the VA obviously you know it's 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 actually quite cruel and um, I think one of the reasons in the film we focus on children is that we wanted to really show how ridiculous this stigma is yeah I was wondering about you that if, if you if, if the children yeah. focus was was part of that absolutely I mean first of all I think the cancer stories were just very compelling yeah but then we just decided to focus on children because yeah it's controversial but it's also like you know you you can't look at these little nine-month-old baby and be like oh well she just likes to get high you know this isn't really medicine yeah, yeah. so it just kind of takes I think, that I think argument right. away it, it's more compelling and and 
you know, you, you showed the effects of, you know, the, like we're, 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 we're talking about this, like these choices between chemotherapy or some harder, harder mm-hmm. drugs in this process mm-hmm. and cannabis. And you see these little kids that, you know, they, they clearly get like a little, a little high, a little buzz for mm-hmm. a short period of time, but the, the, the side effects are, are nothing. Right, Phys- physiologically compared to what their their body can process, it so much easier than they can any other drugs. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and they're non toxic. They can't overdose. It's you know, and also I think in many cases in the film you can see like they weren't getting any of their options. Yeah, like right. these weren't parents who were just like, oh yeah, we don't believe in that chemotherapy. We're you know these no these were parents that had done everything the doctors had told them to do, had mm-hmm. done all the chemotherapy, had done, you know, and were left at a point where their children had no options left. So yeah. this was sort of like that Hail Mary, yeah. you know, in a couple yeah. of the stories, it was like a Hail Mary that, you know, worked for some and didn't work for all all the kids. Um, but I think the the point in the film is just to humanize this controversy because I think that most people don't really know what medical cannabis looks like and they sort of picture you know somebody with chemotherapy undergoing chemotherapy losing their hair like smoking a joint you know to kind of like calm ease the side effects right right? it's just a palliative people don't understand that there's actually like cancer killing properties within the plant itself um so it's it's way more than palliative potentially you know if if we do the the research and and i think the thing that that people will be shocked at seeing it is the the, you know the, the the rapid decline of these of these tumors in these kids and that you know, yeah. and and also you know, I I felt a little bit for these doctors too, yeah. who are kind of stuck in the middle. I mean, you know, I think doctors also get a bad rap in this, and that maybe they're sort of in cahoots with pharmaceutical companies or something. But you know, like you said in the film, they've been practicing this the same methodology mm-hmm. for treating kids with cancer for like was fifty years or something, yeah. mm-hmm. and and it's it's varied very little in that time mm-hmm. period and. It's clear that we need to be adding to this, and I've 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 been brought in in some in some pediatric situations too with, with kids who have had some kind of anoxic period through birth or mm-hmm. something, and, and they know that there's something going on. But even you know people in hospitals have told me that we we treat babies the same way that we did you know 50 years ago because they don't really allow too many other options. Like I've had hospitals who kind of want to get me involved in doing craniosacral work. And everybody on staff, you know, from NICU to lactation, mm-hmm. always thinks, oh, it'd be great to have you here. But they can't figure out any way yeah, to, like, get me into that process. So Yeah, I totally th- see that. It's the same thing here. And I think that um, for us, too, we, we were blocked from filming at many hospitals. Mm-hmm. You know, we would go maybe film the kids once or twice, and then the hospital would sort of catch wind that there was some cannabis angle. And they would freak out. And I remember appealing to Kaiser, you know, that's one of the biggest hospital chains in California, and, like, appealing to them. And I was like, look, I don't understand, like, why you wouldn't want these films shot because your oncologists are totally on board. Uh Not only are they on board, they're blown away by what they're seeing. And on top of that, these kids are doing amazing. Yeah. So you're just going to look like heroes. Yeah. But you see, 
it's this federally illegal thing yeah. that ruins everything, right? Because why are they going to risk federal funds or, you know, it's just, that's the whole problem. It's like too much risk. Same thing with doctors. It's like, well, you're going to prescribe a schedule one drug. You know, it's like, it's hard to sort of wrap your brain around that you could lose your license because this is not federally legal. Like yeah. we still have this stupid tension between the state legality and the federal legality, which is just not going to be tenable much longer, especially with Canada going full legal. What are right. we going to go buy our medicine from Canada? It's right. ridiculous. Right. So it's got to change soon. But um, I think we're just in kind of this temporary holding pattern. But I also felt bad for the doctors in the movie because a lot of them really wanted to speak to us on camera and comment on like how well the kids were doing mm -hmm. and how I'd, they'd never seen this before and the hospital's just like no 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 finally at one point i literally i think it was at kaiser one of the hospitals i said look what if i give you all the questions i'm going to ask the doctor it's going to be five questions they're going to it's going to have nothing to do with cannabis i'm literally just going to say how is this child doing you know, what's her prognosis? How is she doing compared to, like, other children who've had the same treatments? Like, that's it. Yeah. Not even going to... No. They would not give us any access to some of the Yes, and that, that's, that's what I felt, too, is the doctors were just in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. And and really, it's if we're going to deal with bias, I mean, and, or, you know, just the stigma, I think, around, around mm -hmm. cannabis... That they are going to lead the charge in this. Yeah. So if they're if they're quieted in the process, it's just yeah. not going to happen. No. Yeah, I totally totally agree. What What was the What was the biggest challenge making this movie? I think it was just so challenging to try to keep up with all these different families and have like cameras there for the scan day or this day or you know just trying to to keep up and then just emotionally obviously very yeah, hard to yeah. get involved with these families with these very sick children and of course you know we would get close to them and then you mm -hmm. don't know who's going to make it who's not going to make yeah. it you know it's terrifying um because you're just like in it with them yeah um so that, that to me was wondrous i mean i just don't i just don't know how like being in the hospital sometimes with the moms, you know, and just especially when the kids were not doing well, it's like, I was just like, oh my God, how's she doing this? Yeah. How's she yeah. standing here oh, talking to us? Oh my God. You know what I mean? You just, you can't believe these, these, I'm saying moms because um, obviously the dads were very present and supportive, but the moms in the film are kind of the, the lead yeah. characters. Yeah. Um, but you just can't believe like not only just how strong they are and, you know, how they can, how proactive they are, like just how they would just leave no stone unturned to mm -hmm. figure out what's best for their, their kid or going to save their kid. I mean, it's really like amazing to be around them, but also just, you know, terrifying because you're just like, oh my God, you know, this could be me. This could be me. How would I ever get through this? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough, but I do think that the nice thing about the movie is that, um, I think all around it's like the movie is safe in the sense that it's yeah, hopeful. I felt the same way. It's very hopeful. 
We're not going to sit and like torture you of like watching children be sick and tortured and scene after scene. You know, there's really none of that. Yeah. Um, we're really looking at the their struggle, you know, in the piece of this kind of like bigger controversy. But it's it's you know it's not the kind of movie that's um, like just you know we're not showing like horrible surgeries and procedures and <laughs> suffering like it's not that movie at all right. you know it's it's very hopeful for the most part yeah and, and and when you start out you don't know and my 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 wife gets very sort of she's challenged by anytime there's something with a child in a movie yeah and most it, people and, are you know and, I, and I, I'm sure you 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 showed this at South by Southwest. We opened at you South opened? by Southwest, yeah. yeah. What, how, what was the, what was the mm-hmm. reception there? Oh, it was amazing. It was actually incredible. And um, after that, I think we went to Nashville. We got the Audience Award in Nashville. And um, we showed it in Oklahoma City, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It was like two weeks before their referendum where they voted in medical cannabis. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we were invited to show it for Parliament in the UK. So I was in London this summer showing it for Parliament because, again, they had a story of one child that went viral. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the government was like, we have to pass some legislation. We can't just give medicine to one child. Yeah. So... um you know, we've really screened this for like very, very diverse audiences. And I would say the audience, it's funny because <laughs> the person who sees the title, you know, Weed the People and thinks it's like a stoner movie, right. you know, they're yeah. going to be sorely disappointed. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you almost need to grab a larger audience because yeah. there, there are people who, you know, if they knew that it was just about children might think, oh, this is just a movie about kids. And yeah, but uh, I think I think there's 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 more going on here too that's mm-hmm. it's it's such a complicated i mean that's the one the one thing i'm still kind of you know stuck with is what what's the what's the right answer you know yeah. how do you how do you move forward and yeah. and is isn't there just some way to kind of start this process even with like yeah. one one piece do you know anything about anything mm-hmm. that's that's changing at this point in, in any sort of small ways that you've seen since the since you started the film Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot is changing. I mean, look, first of all, I think for anything to change, you need a consciousness shift because you can build as many dispensaries as you want and no one's going to go to them. They don't want to be seen in them. Or like in California, you can have cannabis legal everywhere, but you can't open a dispensary anywhere because no one wants them in their town. So it's kind of like you have to kind of get the backing of the people. And that was really the point of this movie. You know, yeah. this movie was really to be kind of an inconvenient truth yeah. for medical cannabis. And it's not about legalization. It's yeah. not about recreational adult use marijuana at all, you know. So I think, yes, I think the consciousness is shifting. I think even I, the cannabis conference that I was at two days ago in Vancouver you know, the scientists were like, oh, my God, like even two years ago, the crowd is totally different. I mean, it's totally different because now it's like when you walked around the expo center at this conference, I mean, none of the exhibits had anything to do with the actual plant. It's all mm. agricultural infrastructure. You know, everybody's oh, just doing infrastructure and um, 
which says that it's probably it's happen it's 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 already starting to happen at that at that level. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, I think that the question is really, will the medical get lost in the recreational? Because I think that you're going to end up eventually with you know probably medical in every state but then mm-hmm. probably adult use in also most states yeah. you know so and and i think that's the fear is it's like this this people perceive this you know green rush of like the medical the sorry the recreational customer you know right and um okay sure but you know what i mean i'm saying like the recreational customer who's going to buy cannabis products the same way you would go to a liquor store to buy a bottle of scotch or whatever you want to unwind with or celebrate with or help you, you know, chill out at night or whatever. It's like, okay, that's just, to me, it's a totally different world than this medicinal world, you know? So that's what I'm a little more worried about. I, I thought about that too, and I but I was also sort of wondering, like, just thinking about, say, my my twenty year old self, <laughs> you know, like if if I knew what I know now, yeah, if if I was to think about what I, you know, when I was a musician when I was younger, so it was around all the time, yeah, you know, if if you had a choice of, you know, actually knowing the kind of strains, what their medicinal properties right. were, how you might actually use it, which right. a lot of younger people actually know at this point, yeah. Would would the abuse be the same, you know? And 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 That's we're and, and we're talking about something that, compared to alcohol, mm-hmm. is nowhere near as harmful to the to the to the population. Right. You know, right. Especially, especially if they're not just smoking whatever they their friend right. has and right. and whatever dirty. <laughs> Right, vestibule they they're going to use. You know, I mean yeah. that's the one thing I've been having these conversations with my my 15 year old lately yeah. because he came in one one day and asked mom, mom, did you smoke weed in high school? <laughs> because he's starting to see use happening in high school, mm-hmm. and vaping is you know the, mm-hmm. the the delivery method now. Yeah. So you know we've tried to give him a little bit more of a scientific view on on. How mm-hmm. it affects you, not demonize it, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's very easy to. I mm-hmm. think the way it used to be dealt with was kind of black or white, like mm-hmm. something's either good or bad for you. And but at at the at the teenage level, when the brain is in development, I mm-hmm. think I think it's it, it's one of those things that to start a habit at that point in your life mm-hmm. can can be problematic because it I can agree. be something that you that you fall back on all the time, and it is going to. You know, affect you. Whereas, you know, when you're when you're older, you know, and I heard Michael Pollan even talking about this with hallucinogenics that he was saying that they're probably wasted on the youth. That you know, the yes. the thing about this is, as we get older, we may maybe there are ways in which it's better to sort of break our you know bad neurological patterns using something like this that's yes. fairly you know you know non toxic. So yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that because I think, like for me personally, like drugs didn't agree with my younger brain whatsoever you know and it's only recently through really understanding cannabis that i've been able to use it at all with like good effect you know exactly that's the way i feel too. yeah i totally agree with that and i also think too in terms of like with children and you know it's a little bit like you know sexuality with teenagers too right so Mm -hmm. it's like if you're gonna tell your 17 year old you know 
oh, no, you're not allowed, you know, to have, I mean, that's probably not going to work. Like trying to insist on abstinence where it's like, you know, whatever people think of this, but, you know, I have friends who live in legal states and they're, you know, fully by their 16 and 17 year olds um, legal marijuana and they prefer to buy it for them. They, you know, they prefer to know mm-hmm. where it comes from yeah, yeah. and that it's, you know, good or it's not like some crazy dabbing or wax or whatever these right. kids do, you know. And also they're very open about it in the sense that they know when their kids are smoking, mm-hmm. you know, and they're very open like, oh, are you stoned right now? You know what I mean? They know that it's for like the weekend or they know that they're not like driving. It's just it feels a little more like honest and open because you just you know that a 17 year old potentially is going to be trying that out anyway with friends like say you know and it's just I think better to I don't know that would be my opinion like I you know I don't think it's it's endorsing it. I just think it's it's inevitable and like you're saying the more that we make it and for kids also it's not as interesting for them to be like breaking rules when your mom's like buying you the pot <laughs> it's and it's like you it's know true. it's kind of like your like the you know why facebook will eventually go away because yeah. no one wants to be on you know yeah, or it already has, has gone away for kids yeah, you know yeah. no kids use facebook yeah it's just, <laughs> as my son says it's facebook's for old people it is <laughs> it is but but yeah. yeah i mean there's 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 a there's an aspect of that, the, the sort of like your, you know, whatever your, your term you use, like the sort of the fear of the green rush. Mm-hmm. It's it's never going to be something that's acceptable to do in the workplace, you know. Oh, no, there's so much, so much stigma. Yeah. There really is so much stigma. And um, it's funny because I was like, what was I looking at the other day? I was looking at... Um, my friend was showing me one of her like dating apps. Yeah. So I was looking at the dating app and I was looking at what all the men put and every single person, it was saying like, you know, smoke, drink, marijuana or drugs. Right. And yeah. every single person put like drink sometimes. And every single person had no for marijuana, like every single person, every single guy uh, she was showing me on the app. And I was just, I was laughing about her cause I was like, it's not possible. Right. Like, I know. It's just not possible that, <laughs> you know, none of these, you know, 50 men ever right. occasionally right. don't, don't you know, hit the, a vape pen. But it's like, it's not socially yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Like, it was funny to me because I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, they think they're going to be judged by being, you know, kind of a casual user. And it's so interesting, and, and right? Yet, and yet CBD, mm-hmm. like... You know, my mom's talking to me about it. My the I went to give my haircut, and my my hairstylist has a friend from California mm-hmm. who's created this product line oh, with yeah. CBD lotion, and they've got it. They're selling it in the salon now. I went. To, somebody yes. came in yesterday to see me for an appointment. She's got sort of chronic pain issues mm-hmm. and a lot of problems with her feet. And she asked me. She brought in a, a little thing of CBD cream and asked mm-hmm. me if I'd put it on her feet. <laughs> you know, like. That is oh yeah that but th- CBD, that's accept- that's acceptable now. and CBD we you know we talk about in in the movie and it's it's a very important piece of like the cancer killing for sure along with the THC right. but my issue with CBD is that you know getting these states to pass these CBD only laws is really so missing the point yeah 
And to say like, oh, well, the epileptic kids need it. Well, what about the kids with cancer? They need THC. Right. You know, so it's like the CBD stuff kind of pisses me off because it makes THC like the evil stepchild. And then it's like, well, as long as you're just using CBD. And like I've talked to like really knowledgeable, really knowledgeable like wellness writers and websites and, you know, we've talked about the movie and they're like, oh, well, we're not really interested in anything that has to do with THC. You know, we only talk about CBD here. And it's like, but do you, you do understand, right? That it's like, even if you're using a CBD product, you want trace amounts of THC in there because nobody really knows how the cannabinoids work best. And like you were saying in the film, there's something like 4,500 like properties to the plant or some crazy number. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that or was the, the number of strains. The number of strains. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think they've identified, I think I just heard at the conference, like 350 different actual like cannabinoids in the plant. Okay. Um, and but so of we're really just talking about these these two pieces. Right, and the, the funny thing, and now is like the last thing that I've been talking to is it's, um, is it THCG? I think it's THCG. That's super, super hot right now. So, like, people have heard of THC and CBD, okay? But mm-hmm. then there's CBDA, there's CBDN. I think it's this THCG. I mean, what, there's, like, a new thing, you know yeah. what I mean? And then what happens is people start to co- discovering THCG. Oh, this can really help people lose a lot of weight. And then all of a sudden there's a shortage of it. No one can get it. Yeah. You know, it was like with CBD came out. It, initially there was huge shortages when we were making the movie. And none of the kids could even get it because the growers weren't growing it. And then all of a sudden it was in demand. So you had to like grow it, you know? So now it's like exactly like I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Now we're going to hear about these other um, cannabinoids that all have magical powers. And you're just going to have to be really careful about what you read because, you know, I find it very, very sad. Like, look, there's nothing wrong with going to buy a botanical that helps you and you know there's a place that sells a lot of cbd in new york and they're like look the one thing we claim is that we cannot tell anybody that this is clinically gonna approve to help anything but we will tell you that we have like a super high repeat customer so it's doing something for these people you know or it's placebo effect who cares but doing something for them but you know i i do feel bad sometimes when i hear someone like saying like oh my son is autistic and you know, they go down to the store and spend $200 on a little bottle of CBD oil and it comes from hemp and it's probably not going to help their autistic kid. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about not having the education and the support, yeah. you know, around medical and, yeah. you know, not, and I mean, we need to open it up to, to more conditions, you know, um, than just the select few, whatever they pick you know, that gets you a card or gets you a, a, a letter. But I think, you know, that I, I feel badly because I think you're in a position with this CBD stuff to really exploit people and they're putting it in coffee and they're putting it in cocktails yeah, yeah. and, you know, charging a lot of money, <laughs> which I guess you could say the same about any sort of herbal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I but I do think it's um, it bothers me a little like the CBD is good and the THC is is evil. 
Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's good. I mean, I think it's important that you're putting out this kind of mm-hmm. stuff to give more information. Yeah. And that and that it's going to force people to kind of want to know more for themselves. And one, of the, one of the things that, that came to me, like at the end, and actually my, my wife said the same thing that I was thinking at the same time was, well, if if these if these kids are once they're tumor free, let's say, or they, they're not they're not identifying any cancers with them. Should they keep taking it as a preventative? Right. Yes. You know, and and it's and so it becomes one of those things where, you know, is the right you know strain mm-hmm. and combination once you find it, mm-hmm. given your genetic code, mm-hmm. sh- should you be actually you know taking small trace amounts of this to to help prevent things in the future? Like, is, yes. it, is this does this go along with other preventative medicine? Oh yes, a hundred percent. I think all the experts would agree, and all the kids in the movie who are doing well are all on a maintenance dose. Mm. Absolutely, um, you know. But you again, you find things out. Like sometimes they find with some of these kids, like there's something that you have to do when you're taking, let's say, a high CBD, where you have to take breaks. For two or three days to like clean out clean the receptors yeah. otherwise it stops working you yeah. know what i mean there's yeah, all yeah. these like little tricks of the trade that people are developing but yes and i would say they've definitely as far as um cannabis oil being a neuroprotectant you know i would say that like a lot of people think like anybody over 65 should be having like a puff a day to mm-hmm. protect their brain mm-hmm. from dementia and alzheimer's you know i mean with what we know or not. Whether this is true clinically, we don't know. Yeah. But, you know, we know what we see in the model. So um, it's like, you know, it, when you find, I think, when things work, like I was laughing really hard because I was on a plane coming back from London after we screened the film for Parliament, and there was this couple on my flight, and they were so cute, and they were like in their 80s and they lived in Queens and they were like coming back from like celebrating their like 70th wedding anniversary or something crazy they were so cute and the woman she's like we were chatting on the plane and all of a sudden I looked down at her neck and I was like Rita is that a cannabis leaf on your neck she had like a gold cannabis leaf (laughs) hanging on her neck we're like this little Jewish couple from Queens and she was like oh yeah and I was like what are you what is that and she was like Oh, my God. She goes, I've been using this for my migraines for 45 years. Oh, my God. And I was like, really? And she goes, yep. She was like, I just have one little puff right if the migraine's coming on, takes care of the nausea, takes care. I mean, it was like this was her thing. Like she found this Mm -hmm. 45 years ago. 45 years ago, she's been doing this. You know what I mean? And how did she hear about it? Or somebody must have figured this out. Or she found it out accidentally, right? Right, right. But it was so cute. And I was like, that's amazing. And she was like, yep, it's the best thing. And then, you know, I said, oh, now you know you can actually go, like, buy it at dispensary. They have dispensary in Queens. And she was like, oh, no, no, I just go to the bodega. You know, like, she has her, like, (laughs) bodega, her guy. She's still buying it on the black market because that's the thing. Like, it's, you know, the interesting thing about cannabis is, like, when it works, it works. And so a lot of the science and the research is happening backwards, right? right? Because it works so well and it's so safe. People are just like using it first and now they're doing the science to try to figure out like yeah. why this works on so many different conditions.
where where are you at right now with the movie in terms of like hitting popular market? So we're almost there. <laughs> we're getting there. Um, we're doing our digital release on January twenty second. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. That's awesome. So January twenty second, it'll be available on um, iTunes, and um, and then I think. Yeah, and then two weeks later, I think it'll be available on like a bunch of platforms okay. for downloading, streaming, all that stuff. Um, and then much later on, it'll end up on Netflix as everything okay. tends to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all good documentaries. <laughs> can, can we talk a little bit briefly about the, the the next project that you have going on? Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and are you where? So tell tell me the name of it. The the full name. Um, so know? the movie, well, right now it's called Sweetening the Pill. Okay. Whether we change the title or not, I'm not sure. Okay. Because it's based on, on a book, correct? It's not really based on a book at all. Okay. It's, it's, there was a book um, called Sweetening the Pill by Holly Griggs Ball, and Holly had sent my partner, Ricky Lake, and I the book okay. several times because she had been trying to get a documentary off the ground at the time so she sent us the book I read her book and I was really intrigued by many things she brought up yeah we essentially optioned the book but like we pretty much just you know were inspired yeah yeah by her work but it's it's I don't think the movie ultimately will have anything to do with Holly's book directly okay and so and so you're you're exploring female contraception more than but beyond the pill too correct Oh, yeah. I mean, we're really looking at hormonal birth control. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that hormonal birth control exists in this very, like, don't ask, don't tell world. Where it's just like this dirty little secret where it's just like nobody really feels like they ever have any options. It's kind of like, well, you're on hormonal birth control or you're pregnant. Yeah. and I think it's a very hard thing for women and young girls, teenage girls or whatever, to, to talk about with their providers. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure to get on these medications, mm-hmm. and they are medications. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to get on them for almost any reason. So it doesn't have to be for birth control. Yeah. It can be almost any problem with the menstrual cycle, endometriosis, PCOS, yeah. irregular periods, painful periods, acne. I mean, it's like anything, any female problem can be solved right. by you know the hormonal contraceptive. And I think that women are very disempowered when they speak up about the side effects because they are told that it's in their head that it's not real, that the research doesn't support that, um, that they just need to switch to a different brand or a different pill. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, really non-hormonal options are not presented very often. And if they are, I think there's a lot of stigma and around them as like, oh, God, you're doing that. You know, Mm -hmm. oh, you're definitely going to get pregnant. So, right. You know, it's interesting because, you know, for a long time, at least in, in our culture, all the pressure is on women to take care of birth control. You yeah, know, and it's interesting because it was it was it was used as an empowering tool in some ways mm-hmm. in like the 50s and 60s. And yes. then 
it's now it's almost kind of getting used against women. Yes, and it it is an empowering tool. I think it still is an empowering tool. I mean, I think it's still very it's very much like childbirth, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's like if you know what you're getting into, like if you've decided I'm having an elective cesarean or I'm having an epidural or whatever, you know, you're choosing an intervention and you know the risks and you've researched it and you've discussed it and this is your choice that is very empowering i think when it comes to birth control women don't really know the risks yeah they really don't right um you know i think they're not really screened for potential issues i don't think they understand the warning signs of when they could develop really serious health complications and, you know, look, some of it is... And long-term effects, too. Oh, massive. I mean, we in, in the movie, we really look at, you know, things as sort of lighthearted as, you know, how hormonal birth control changes your pheromones, so it yeah. changes who you're attracted to sexually, yeah. to... That one's really fascinating, actually. Very fascinating, right? <laughs> my, Did you my, read about that My, my wife told contest? me about it at, at one point, saying that... She read this at one point and real and decided that she wasn't going to because, you know, in mm-hmm. in trying to find the right person for yourself, you could pick the, the person you think is right, and then you get off the pill and you're like, mm. and that happens all the time, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah, I was totally fascinated to read about that, um, and so I think that there's you know what happens a lot too is that what we what we see in the film is that women are put on the pill or the patch or the ring, whatever, you know, at such a young age these days. Mm-hmm. Again, mostly for something that is completely made up, which is called regulating your cycle. Just like nobody ever regulates their cycle with a pill because when you're on the pill, you don't have a cycle. Right. You're not right. cycling. You're essentially in menopause. I mean, you're, you're turned off your hormones. Yeah. So... They don't really um, then understand that maybe if they develop like some depression or some mood issues, Mm -hmm. then they end up seeking treatment for that and potentially getting put on an antidepressant when nobody's really gone back to the root, which is that it may just be the birth control pill that's causing the depression. So we've cover a lot of stories about women who've had severe severe depression panic attacks i've even know. seen things related to sort of i mean with mm-hmm. with i mean you, you know we, when you get into the more kind of somato you know emotional mm-hmm. part of the body that the hormones are related to yeah i've seen people with chronic pain issues that are actually related back to the pill because yeah i've heard about that too well, and, and part of it is just because of the way that the you know these these the, we have like, people don't realize we have like hundreds of hormones, you know, involved in all these, you know, communication relationships with, with, you know, organ function and doing all, all sorts of different things. And when you disrupt one of those, one of those hormones, or when you change the response of something, mm-hmm. it, it sets off a whole series of responses. And, you know, for some people, it might not come out as pain, or it might not yeah. come out as, as a, as a mood thing or depression, but mm-hmm. everybody's going to have something that's has, that has some effect, some people stronger than others. And then there are you know, everybody has a trigger of some sort, either genetically or emotionally or whatever, that can also set off the, you know, that whole spectrum. Totally. Yeah. I just heard a pain story the other day where somebody was telling me that they had like really bad pain in their neck that was from, you know, had to do with taking synthetic hormones. And so 
Yeah, we it's it's I mean, we probably won't have enough time in the movie to go into like every possible so many condition yeah. that, that can happen. But we do have a bunch of parents in the film who all lost their daughters to hormonal birth control um, because they all suffered very sudden and unexpected um, pulmonary embolisms. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, they, they do talk about risk of stroke and risk of blood clots um which they call vte you know venous thrombosis in in the pill packet but it's very small the writing and one of the things they sort of lead you to believe in the marketing is that you're only at risk for these kind of um blood clots is if you're smoke or if you're obese or you know which is really not the case at all because the women in in our film who died we're all very young, very fit, very healthy, had no previous clotting disorders, had no other conditions. Mm. Um, so their bereaved parents, we sort of follow them a little bit through this movie, trying to figure out how to, you know, really like get some more information out there because they don't want this to happen to other girls. Yeah. Um, so those stories are, are extremely upsetting but i think they're also important to talk about you know even though they're rare occurrences you know nothing's rare when it happens to you or your child (laughs) so you know we talk about that we talk about i mean we really also then look into this world of sort of femtech and looking at you know what might be more solutions for birth control that are more based in fertility awareness methods um and femtech and apps and different monitors and things they're coming out with um which i believe will probably be more of the future i think of birth control um do do you cover anything about about getting off birth control because that that's another Mm -hmm. one of those things that i've seen that i've had you know and also just for anyone listening yeah I, i i don't you know by having a conversation like this doesn't mean you should pull yourself today off of birth control because i think there should also be a tapering when yeah. people are trying to get off these things because yeah. we don't realize sometimes how powerful these these hormones it's are. It's very hard to, to transition off hormonal birth control. And so there are a couple people now actually doing whole like online courses. And mm. Holly Griggs-Ball, who, who wrote the book, Sweetening the Pill, she's now um, preparing a course because she's been doing workshops for women of how to transition off because what can oh, happen a lot is that women try to go off these medications and they're terrified because they were using it to control acne or, you know, whatever. And so they are suddenly like, it's like you don't have a cycle for all these years and then your body's like totally out of whack. And so you have these terrible periods and you have all of a sudden all this crazy acne and you know what I mean? So it's, it's hard to, to go off them. Um, so a lot of times women just stay on them because, they don't like what happens when they they try to go off um but yeah i think that's a really important piece of it too for women who want to try other options mm-hmm. um so yeah it's going to be like a very tough movie i think we're going to get a lot of backlash yeah. <laughs> um but it's important that, that you're doing i don't this care and... because i you know it's it's not again like it's i think it's it's important and i think ultimately the messages that we we show are, you know, to me, it all sort of goes back in some level to body literacy. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I really do think that 
if, you know, like when girls are going through, let's say, sexual education in school, they're only learning about their menstrual cycle Just the facts. as a way not to get pregnant, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They're not learning anything empowering about it. Yeah. They're not learning what, you know, their luteal phases or, you know, their their um, fertile phase or what kind of how that can affect their mood or how can that can affect mm-hmm. their energy or how to like really, you know, be in touch with their cycles and how this can be a empowering thing. Like they're not taught any of that. Yeah. They're literally just taught of like, this is when the egg comes and this is how you yeah. don't get pregnant. Yeah. And I think that if you don't have any connection, if you don't understand the names of things of your own anatomy, if you can't ask questions about them, then it's very easy to walk into a clinic or walk into a doctor and someone says, oh, just take this pill every day and you'll never get pregnant. And you don't really understand, you know, what that's doing to to your body, then it's it's much easier you and, know, I think. And to, it's become this, this tool that makes things seemingly easy to manage, right? Yes. You, you don't have to live in a, a dynamic yeah. <laughs> world as much with your body, but that's what we should be in. Like we're trying to like, yes. you know, simplify life mm-hmm. in some way by just like, you know, numbing down the experience of everything. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's, there's, Look, I mean, again, I think these products should be available. I think they should be accessible. I think women should have access to them. I think they should understand how they work. I think there's certain periods of people's lives where they may be willing to put up with certain side effects, you know, just to feel like, oh, this is one thing I don't have to worry about. You know, there's 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 a place for them. So but there's also um, I think a lot of things that people aren't thinking about when they start these products, they're not thinking about how long they're going to end up staying on them and then what might happen, you know, at the end of the day to their fertility, mm-hmm. to their sexuality. I mean, like we've heard all these stories of women having like absolute testosterone crashes where they have no sex drive. They have, you know, their hair falls out. Mm-hmm. They have huge hormonal imbalances. They, their hormones never go back online properly. So their fertility is affected. I mean, it's just like you don't know how each person's chemistry is is going to react to like going on and off. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's a conversation that's very hard to have. It's very hard to have a conversation about health, wellness, and risk around birth control because yeah. it's just like. What do you mean? How can you even, you know, we're so lucky we have it. We're just so lucky we have it. We just have to like shut up and take your pills and be so happy that, you know, you have this option. And it's like, no, you know, I think this is the age where women need to step up and It's the age of information. We should should have access to this kind of information at this point. Yes, and options. Yeah. And options. And and, uh, And men should have options. Yeah, absolutely. And and you guys, you guys have been doing crowdfunding for it. Are you... You, is that still going on? Or no, we did, a Kickstarter you did a Kickstarter for okay. like an initial raise. Okay. Yeah. And so we're at the kind of, we're in sort of the probably 75, 80% finished okay. in the, in our post-production. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks. This is, this is so, so <laughs> great talking to you. Thank you, yeah. Jeremy. And and for, for people who are are interested in, in learning anything more about mm-hmm. Weed the People? Do you have a do you have a site? So everything's on yeah, weed the people movie dot com. Okay. So 
So yeah, you can go to weedthepeoplemovie.com and you can host a screening. You can pre-order oh, the awesome. DVD. You can read all about the film. Uh, when is the podcast airing? Uh, probably be you know, a couple weeks from now. Perfect, yeah. So, so I don't know what the before. exact date will be when people are listening to this, but I know January 22nd it'll be available um, for sure on okay. iTunes. But if you just go to weedthepeoplemovie.com, you can find out. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much, Abby. Thank you, Jeremy. Abby Epstein, folks. I love the work she and Ricky are doing in these projects. They're making films for social impact, storytelling, but also educating us on topics people should be covering and getting us emotionally involved in the right ways. Cannabis is a tricky topic. It's Schedule 1 status federally and legalization from state to state make it hard to come to terms with its right place in our culture. And the fact that research is limited by federal patent makes it nearly impossible to have an evidence-based discussion on its most beneficial and safe use. What I think this film did brilliantly, though, is, is push against the discomfort and you know force us into a broader conversation. And I hope that my conversation here with Abby on the podcast opened it up a little bit further. If you have ex- any experiences to share related to this topic, not necessarily your high school and college experiences with cannabis, <laughs> unless they are really compelling or funny, please share them with me at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Also, I'm sure there are a number of you in health fields, research fields, or involved in the business of cannabis. I'd love to hear from you and your take on this topic and conversation. And don't forget to check out We the People coming out January 22nd. Also, a last reminder here, uh, we are still taking submissions for our contest here on Highway Health. We'd like to hear about the work you are doing to improve the lives and improve our collective experience. I'll be picking one of your passion projects and have you here as a guest on Highway to Health to share your story and, uh, and, and your mission. Email me at the same place, jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. <laughs>